as you know, we're, we're coming up to Christmas, and I, I chuckle and giggle when I talk to friends, you know, picking up kids after school, and the moms and dads that gather there at the, the fence post, we often find ourselves chatting daily, and one of the funniest things that the, some, some of them have said is, oh my goodness, I can't believe Christmas is almost here. I, I didn't see it coming. And I go, really? You didn't? It, I mean, for as long as you've been alive, it's been on the same day every year. <laughs> same day, 2 5, 25. Uh, but I know what it's like. It, it, I looked at the calendar today and I was like, oops, I got I to gotta put in my Amazon order. I got to finish up the last couple things that are on my responsibility for Christmas or the stockings might come up a little short and so uh, you gotta gotta put it together and as you're 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 getting uh, putting things together you're you're wrapping things up you know you're you're decorating and and if you practice that at home to wrap up gifts and 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 that's fun but I'd like to unwrap a few things for us this morning you know I like to unwrap things on Christmas Day, but it's always fun to get an early Christmas present, right? Where you get to unwrap something that, that was before concealed or hidden. And so uh, when it comes to the Word of God and reading the Christmas story, sometimes we come at the Christmas story with the same nativity scene glasses we've been wearing as since we were children. Maybe you saw a Christmas nativity play as a young child or even as an adult or you had those little figurines you know set up in your home that depict Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus in a barn and and uh, the wise men and the star and the shepherds and the angels and and uh, sometimes we miss some of those precious precious truths that are actually right in front of our very eyes we miss some of those those precious moments that 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 communicate a powerful truth. I love the Christmas story because what, what we think you know, is so common and normal Christmas at this time of year for North America especially and most Christian nations, it's, it's just common. It's, it's, it's what happens, you know, November hits and the Christmas music starts trickling in on the radio. You know, shortly after Halloween, you start hearing the, the tunes start playing on the radio and start playing in stores and you see stores and I remember going into a, a, a store early early November maybe even late October and they already had all the Christmas decorations I was like wow already wow we're getting started early this is you know for us it's just like two months two and a half months of of preparation leading up to December the 25th and then and then it's over December 26th and things start getting packed away uh, things start getting put away. Things start getting tore down. All the decor, and it goes back to just regular, normal, everyday life. But what I love about the Christmas story was the Christmas story, the real one, the one that happened 2,000 plus years ago when Jesus was born, happened completely out of everybody's eye. There were so few people that knew Jesus was born. The Christmas, the first Christmas, happened almost anonymously. People woke up the next morning as if nothing had happened significant in their lives. Yet for a small group of people, and a very diverse group of people, 
the Savior had been born and the world was about to change forever. The Bible says in Luke chapter 2, verse 8, that in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping over their watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Matthew chapter 2, verse Chapter 2, verse 1 records it like this. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came, came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and all and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem in, of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, are the least of the tribes of Judah. By no means are the least of the rulers of Judah, for, you, for from you shall come a ruler who shall shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly, and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, that when you have found him, you might bring me word, that I too may come and worship him. And after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with, his, with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now, the characters we just read in this quick reading of the, the Christmas story and the events surrounding it, by no means did we cover everything, but you got the idea, right? We have some characters, Mary, Joseph, the baby, angels, shepherds, and wise men, all in the same telling of the tale. We have different places, right? The story starts in Mary's home. An angel comes to her and tells her she's going to have a baby. The wagon ride from, from Nazareth to Bethlehem. The house with the guest room that was already full. The stable or the, the place where Mary was giving birth. And, and, and there's lots of debate as to where that was. Some, some believe that there was a, uh, an actual stable, perhaps a cave. And others that are probably a little bit more familiar with the, with the area and the, the Palestinian way at that time and the houses, stables were actually in the home. They were in the home. They were part of the the living room. If you ever anybody know what a side split is, a home where there's two levels, but the the main uh, the main level is kind of flat, almost like a bungalow, and then there's a stairs going down. Well, a lot of homes were were like that. They had a two level, a two tiered setup. The entrance of the home was actually the stable, 
And then there was this little half step up that went to the main floor where everybody lived and slept. And uh, at nighttime, they would bring the animals into the house. This is the common person's house. They would bring the, the animals into the house where the family was. Now, it, the animals didn't come all the way in, but they just came to that kind of mudroom entryway portion. And there were mangers that were cut into the stone of the main level where everyone lived. And so the animals could come in. And uh, you ask, well, why would they do that? Number one, thieves. You didn't, if you had a cow that gave good milk or a goat or a donkey, you didn't want that animal to be stolen in the night, so you brought it into your home. The other reason was body heat, temperature. Animals produce a lot of body heat, so when you bring the animals into the home, the animals would actually serve to be like a, a, a natural way to heat the home in the cool hours of the night. And so animals often were brought into a house to help it stay warm, to help uh, protect the animal and keep it safe. And then the animal could munch on some hay in the middle of the night out of the manger. And so it's possible that Mary and Joseph found their way into the home of an individual. The inn, what, what commonly is called the inn in uh, the Scripture, is actually the, another word for guest room. We, we, we think of inn as a commercial place. You know, you, you go to the Christmas pageant and there's always the grumpy old pudgy innkeeper character, right? It's always, it's always that, that grumpy guy that said, sorry, there's no room in the end, Mary. You're going to have to find a place in the barn to have your baby. And every mother in the room gets offended at that notion that he wouldn't, like, give up his own bed for this woman who's about to give birth to a baby. Like, what is wrong with this dude? Well, there is no grumpy innkeeper in the story uh, that you read in the scripture because they didn't go to a commercial inn. They went to the home of someone perhaps they knew or the family that the last family they could find a place to stay for the night. But there was still no room in the guest room. There was no room in the in the spare room or what was called the inn in scripture. So Mary did have to give birth in the place where the animals were kept and likely she laid the baby in the same manger that the animals would eat from. Jesus' birth is a, is, a, is, a, is a powerful story because there were so many things that happened. There were so many things that took place. I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but, but let's start with Mary for a moment, shall we? Going all the way back to before she was pregnant, before the angel visited her, Mary was somewhere between the age of 15 and 18 years old. And that is shocking. I, that was shocking for me. I saw a few of you go, wow, uh, because that, that's pretty crazy that a 15 to 18-year-old girl would be given charge of mothering the Savior of the world. But if you understand the culture and the day, that was actually the age of womanhood. It was not odd for a girl uh, a young woman at the age of 15 to get married and begin having children. It was very normal at that time and in those days. So Mary was actually at the age of young womanhood and the age of ability to have a child. 
But she was not yet married. She was engaged to Joseph. The word is betrothed, meaning she was spoken for, but the ceremony had not yet happened. The angel visits Mary and says to her, you are blessed and highly favored of the Lord. Mary, this this young woman from Nazareth. Nazareth is the armpit of the civilized world. It is the forgotten town. It is the town from which nothing good can come. It is the town from which nobody really wants to be known. No, you know, if, you, if you're from Nazareth, you probably picked the neighboring city or the neighboring town because you didn't want to be known as that person from Nazareth. She was blessed and highly favored of God. So God begins his entrance into the world, not through the pearly gates of a royal palace. God does not visit the elite and the wealthy and the to-do, but he visits the girl who lives in the no-good town, in the forgotten side of the country that nobody wanted to be known from. God goes there and finds a girl who is blessed and highly favored of the Lord. She was pure in her lifestyle. Mary had found favor with God. We see people like Noah who find favor with God. Abraham who find favor with God. These are characters and individuals who, although were not perfect, had a heart to serve God and do what was pleasing to Him. If you didn't know this, Mary actually hailed from a royal family. According to Luke chapter 3, Mary's family tree traces all the way back to King David and King Solomon. When you read the account of King David, who by the way was the golden crowned king of Israel, he was the only king who successfully ruled over all 12 tribes of Israel as one kingdom. David had four sons by a woman by the name of Bathsheba. Nathan, who was Mary's great ancestor, and Solomon was the other son by whom Joseph hails his descendants. Both Mary and Joseph come from the same family tree, although, as you may understand, the tribe had had split off and they had They were not like cousins or anything. They were just distantly related far, far, far back. So Jesus bore the legal title of a descendant of David on both Mary's side and his adopted father's side, Joseph. This is such an amazing portion of the story because why is David's descendants living in the armpit of Israel? You can kind of see what had happened. The glorious house of David had come down to the armpit of the civilized world. The glorious house of David, of which the Jews, if you were known to be of the house of David, you would receive instant respect from every Jew that you met. If you said to them, I am so-and-so of this person of the house of David, instantly you would gain respect because every Israelite knew King David's line, his, his kingdom would be restored again. The son of David would sit again on the throne of Israel and judge the 12 tribes of Israel. That was a prophecy given many, many years after David's line had fallen out from being king. 
So anybody who was a son of David would receive instant respect. So what is David's family doing living in the city of Nazareth? I want the first thing we learn here is that Jesus comes to anybody. And he doesn't care where you are. If your family was serving God at one point and you have, you have come down and found yourself on the back side of the church, on the outskirts, maybe at one time you used to live for God or you were dedicated to God, you gave yourself to God, but today, for one reason or another, you find yourself in like a Nazareth-type situation. You're outside of the will of God, outside of the promises of God, and, and regarded as, as fully removed from the things of God. God can still find you right where you are and still give you a purpose that is, that is destined to change your world. I love that God is no respecter of persons. He doesn't look at your pedigree or your heritage. He doesn't look at who you were married to or who your mom and dad were. He doesn't know. Do you know that in Jesus' lineage, there were four Gentile women? Four Gentile women. And two of them were considered to be prostitutes. Jesus even reaches into the lowest parts of human existence to pull out for him a people for his name. Because one thing you need to realize and understand, when you come to God, you're not coming to Him on the merits and the basis of your family tree, your family name, your own accomplishments, or your own worth, or your own value. But you have worth and value in the eyes of God because God places His value on you. God calls you worth it. God calls you blessed and highly favored, not just because of your goodness or your worth or your merit, but because of what He designs to put on you and put inside of you. Let's talk about Joseph for a moment. Joseph is not Jesus' biological father, but he was his adopted father. Isn't it neat? The Messiah had a stepdad. Messiah had an adopted father. Now Jesus knew who his father was. There's no doubt about it. The Holy Spirit fathered the, 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 the body that he would inhabit in the womb of Mary. But for all intents and purposes, Jesus can identify with those who come from a home with an adoptive parent. Because Jesus had an earthly father that was not his biological dad. Some people feel that Joseph was much older than Mary, some between 10 and 15 years older than her, which would not have been strange or odd in that culture because if you were going to marry someone, you had to pay for them. Husbands proposing to marry a woman had to do something called a dowry. They had to give the father money and purchase their wife. And I know that that sounds odd and weird, but men, you went out before you got married and got your wife an engagement ring, hopefully. I mean, that, I mean that's the custom here in North America. I know we, there's a lot of different cultures represented in the room. But for me, I went and put money down on an engagement ring, which is essentially a similar practice to a dowry, that you present an engagement ring and you help to pay for the wedding, et cetera, et cetera. So this was just the culture. And so at this time, Joseph is older than Mary. But 
uh, he, he purchases Mary and then and, uh, he puts the money down for, for, for uh, her dowry and, and they're now betrothed. They're getting ready for the wedding and, and he's of the same royal family line as Mary was. And what we find is that Joseph is a tremendously honorable man. Very few words, if any, are spoken in the Christmas story by Joseph. We don't see much par- uh, talking from Joseph at all in the Christmas story. But he is there, and he is honorable, and he keeps Mary safe. We find that, that, that Joseph, when he discovers Mary's pregnant, if you read the text carefully, you'll discover Joseph didn't find out from Mary. He found out from the town that Mary was with child. He found out from his friends and the people in the city that he was with child. And you can imagine, put yourselves in the shoes of Mary, how on earth am I going to explain this to Joe? Right? Put yourselves in in, in the shoes of Joseph upon hearing that his wife is pregnant. And every man in the room would have the same reaction if your wife came to you and said, I'm pregnant and the Holy Ghost is what put this baby inside of me. And you go, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm pregnant with the child, but I'm still a virgin. And Joseph goes, no, sorry, wrong answer. His first name's not holy and his last name was not ghost. So don't tell me. You, you give me the real name of this joker. I want to know what his name is. But Mary did not waver. She, she told the truth. And Joseph, the Bible says, he considered to put her away privately. Now, that language in, in, the, in, the, in the English does not convey the emotion that Joseph was going through. But if you look at the Greek language, the same Words that are used in the Greek there are used in other portions of Scripture to describe great anger and fury. In fact, it's with the same verb that's used later to describe Jesus' actions in driving the money changers out of the temple. Exact same word. But in Luke, you read it as, well, he was just considering what to do. No, no, what Joseph was 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 red-faced, ear-burning angry that Mary was pregnant when they were betrothed. But an angel visits Joseph. And what I love is despite Joseph's anger, the Bible says he was going to put her away privately. He was going to do it privately. And you ask the question, what was Joseph doing it privately for? Because if Joseph did it publicly, it's very likely the town, Nazareth, because it was so small, and far removed from the oversight of Roman authority, it was very likely the rabbi, the, the, the righteous leaders of that city would have risen up to stone Mary and her baby on the outside of the city, which was common for that kind of behavior. So Joseph, despite his great anger and his feelings of betrayal, says, I'm going to put Mary away privately. I'm going to do it so she and the baby do not die at the hands of a crazed mob that wants to stone her to death. And an angel visits Joseph at night and tells him, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because she's actually telling you the truth. And what does Joseph do? 
What does Joseph do but he takes Mary under his wing? He takes Mary by her side. He marries her. He legitimizes her her relationship. And he puts her under his protection. Listen to what the angel says. Don't be afraid, Joseph, to take Mary as your wife. If Joseph was going to take Mary as his wife, it meant that he was going to also share in her perceived indiscretion. Because the rest of the town looked at Mary as someone who was doing a sin, doing something wrong, and deserved the shunning of the community. So if Joseph was also taking her as his wife, he was participating in her shame. Her public shame. But the angel tells him, don't be afraid. And what does Joseph do? He, without fear, takes Mary to be his wife. Have you ever wondered why on earth did Mary and Joseph, at nine months pregnant, decide to travel to Bethlehem from Nazareth? On the back of a donkey or in a wagon, it was a, a journey of several miles, taking maybe one to two days in travel time. Why on earth would a woman of nine months pregnant get in the back of a bumpy wagon and travel that long of a distance? Well, the the Scripture tells us it was for a census. But women had no business at the census. Only the men. They didn't go to Mary's hometown. They went to Joseph's hometown. Why didn't Mary just stay home in Nazareth where she could give birth in comfort, maybe surrounded by a few close friends who might have helped her or might have had compassion on her? Why? No, it's most likely that Joseph insisted she come So he could protect her. Because he had no idea what would happen to her if she stayed home in Nazareth. He's continuously protecting and keeping watch over his wife. We see that even though we don't know all the details, we don't know how it's all going to play out, God sometimes has a plan for our lives that is disruptive. For Joseph, this was not part of his plan. This, and, and by the way, when something happens out of your Christmas plans this year, just remember, the first Christmas was completely out of everybody's plan. The first Christmas was completely out of Joseph's purview. He had, he had no way of knowing what would have come, what would have been when he said, yes, Lord, I'll do what you call me to do. We turn the pages of the story. They arrive in Bethlehem. They find lodging. They get into the the, the, the place of the, 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 where the animals are kept. They're giving birth in this place. And, and, and yet this family that provided is completely unnamed in Scripture. Completely unnamed. So Christmas is even for those who have unexpected visitors and guests. God still finds a way to bless their lives. We find shepherds in a field Luke chapter 2, verse 8 says, In the same region they were keeping shepherds out in the field. In the same region of Bethlehem. Bethlehem is remarkably close to a city called Jerusalem. Jerusalem is where the temple is. Jerusalem is the place where, where the animals were sacrificed to the Lord for the sins of the people. Namely, the lambs were sacrificed in the temple. In fact, the temple was so 
so, so much of an industry that the temple actually had its own band of shepherds that lived very close to the city, but not too close. So it is believed that the only shepherds that were allowed to graze the farm-rich pastures of Jerusalem and Bethlehem were most likely temple shepherds. These were shepherds that had to care very carefully for their lambs and for their flocks. Listen to what the angel says to the shepherds. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Why would the angel give the shepherds this kind of detail? That you're going to find a baby who is wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. It was very, for this very reason, the shepherd shepherds were given this information is because the shepherds would be able to identify a baby that looked a lot like the lambs that they cared for in their practice of shepherding. See, it was the practice of lowly temple shepherds to take the young lambs that were born and wrap them up very carefully in something called a swaddling cloth, a very special kind of white linen material that would wrap and keep those lambs safe in the early stages of its life. Because when you brought a lamb to the temple for sacrifice, it was very specific. You could not just bring any lamb, but the lamb had to be without spot. The lamb had to be without blemish. The lamb could not have any broken bones or deformities. So when a lamb was born, the shepherds made a practice of instantly wrapping this lamb in a swaddling clothes and keeping it as safe and as calm and as quiet by its mother's side as possible to avoid injury. Because if the lamb was injured, if it broke a leg, it broke a bone, it got a spot, it got some kind of a, a blemish or mark on it, the lamb was not fit for use in the temple. So the shepherds consistently and always used things like swaddling clothes, lying their lambs in a manger. And so it's interesting that the lamb of God was born and placed in the same location as the lambs of the shepherds that would later go towards the temple to be used in sacrificial worship unto God and used to atone for the sins of the people. Isn't it interesting how while the rest of the world was going about its regular affairs, God was orchestrating things, He was connecting things together, and He was visiting the lowly and the beloved of his own heart. Another interesting point is that shepherds were the lowest class profession in all of Jerusalem. If you were a shepherd, it was looked down upon that you were in that profession. You weren't allowed to enter the temple. You weren't allowed to, to do a lot of the things that most people were allowed to do. You, you, your, your testimony would not be upheld in a court of law if you were a shepherd because you were considered to be a rough, nomadic individual with no real societal benefit at all. And I don't really understand why that was because they were so much a part of the industry and the trade of that time, but that's what it was. Shepherds were a lowly group. They didn't have homes. They didn't have places to call their own necessarily. They were nomadic and tent-dwelling individuals. Yet isn't it interesting, the angels visited the shepherds. The angels visited the shepherds on the hills of Bethlehem. 
the angels visited the ones who might be able to recognize the Messiah because he was wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. It's amazing that God visited a group that was considered to be on the outside of society. Are you noticing a pattern? God visits Mary in the forgotten town of Nazareth and uses her to institute the the greatest miracle that ever took place on the earth, the birth of Jesus. God visits Joseph and reassures him, "You, you don't have to be afraid, but you can take Mary as your wife and treat her with kindness and and minister to her and care for her. And this baby is going to be the Son of God. Joseph took on the responsibility of raising a son that was not his own flesh and blood, but was his own Messiah. God visited a group of shepherds on the side of the Bethlehem hillsides and gave them the first news. And the first choir song about Christmas was sung to a group of grubby shepherds on the side of Bethlehem's hills. Now let's talk about the wise men. We often see the wise men visiting Mary and Joseph in the stable, right? On the very night of his birth. But it's more likely that Mary and Joseph had had purchased a home in Bethlehem and set up camp there for a while and begun to live right there in Bethlehem for a number of years before the the wise men actually showed up. We see also there's that... that, How how many wise men were there? Does anybody know? How many? Three, right. Where do we get that number from? We get it from the song. But we don't get it from the Scripture. The Bible never says three wise men showed up to the manger where Jesus was laid. It just gives us this descriptive word, Wise men, or magi, arrive. In fact, it's, it's actually unlikely that wise men would travel in groups of less than 10 or 15 because it was unsafe to travel long distances in a small company of people. It's most likely that this was a large group of people, maybe an entire tribe of people that came and visited Jesus. It's also discussed and debated on where did these men come from? Some think they came from Africa, some from from Asia, some from Babylon or Persia, but likely they came from the east, like the scripture says. What is directly east of Israel? At the time, it was a place called Palestine or Arabia. So it's very likely that the wise men, while they were affluent, while they were wealthy, came from Arabia, which was very close by. We also know this is potentially true because when they leave, they left a different way and arrived home rather quickly. You can read that in the text where as soon as they leave Mary and Joseph in Bethlehem, they go home another way. And it appears as though All they had to do was cross a border, and they were home another way. But had they had to go to to Babylon or Persia or any way that was extended and even further, it's likely that they would have had to travel back through Jerusalem to make their trek home. 
That all being said, the gifts give us a little clue as to where they come from. The wise men brought things like gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Frankincense and myrrh are the two clues that let us know that perhaps the wise men, the magi, came from a place close by because this region was very robust in producing things like frankincense and myrrh. It was a a great industry, and, and the best frankincense and myrrh was known from coming from Arabia, just outside the borders of Israel. Now, you might say, well, what does that have to do? Not, not a whole lot. It's like interesting trivia. But perhaps really nothing more than just interesting information. Except for the fact that the Bible says that these men were not Jews. But they were Gentiles. They were people from another race outside of the house of Israel that came and saw his rising in the east and came to worship him. How they got the prophecies of the Old Testament, we don't know. Perhaps it was in the dispersion of Israel when they were, when they were disbanded from their countries many, many years before the birth of Christ when Babylon and Persia came in and took them and dispersed them across the then known world. Perhaps the Torah came with the Jews who were exiled from their homes and found its resting place in the tribes close to but not too far away from the home of Israel. Whatever the case is, these men looked into the Word of God, found prophecies there about His birth, and consistently watched and waited historically until the times rose and the stars appeared in the sky announcing the birth of Jesus. Whatever the case, whoever they were, whatever country they were from, they were men who watched the skies waiting for the arrival of the prophesied Messiah of Israel. And they brought gifts to Him. It was funny to me how these men, detached from the religion of, of Judaism, detached from the temple, detached from the priest, detached from the scribes and the, the daily and weekly readings of Torah in the synagogues, yet these were the men who foresaw and waited and saw the arrival of the Messiah and then put gifts together and brought it to present to this new king who was born in the city of Bethlehem and lying in a manger. It was these men, not the priests, not the scribes, not the Pharisees, not the men who had their nose deep in the Torah every week, who heard and saw that the Messiah was coming. But it was these rich, affluent gentlemen from a different country, a different region that saw and came and worshipped. Each one of the gifts was meaningful. Gold spoke of his deity to pay for and, and minister to their financial needs. Frankincense spoke of his, his, his deity and his godlikeness. His myrrh that was given would speak of the, the suffering and the death that would come in his life later on. Each one of these people come from different parts of the world from different walks of life, yet every single one of them found their way to a place where the Messiah was born. Mary and Joseph could have rejected 
the request, saying it would have added too much catastrophe to their life. Mary could have said, no, I, I can't. Let me get married first, God. I, I, can't, I can't have a baby outside of wedlock. That'll put too much strain on my social life. Joseph said, no, I, I, can't, I can't even believe this, though an angel from heaven were to tell me this is the truth. I can't, I can't accept this. Yet each one of them accepted their difficult discipleship and obeyed the voice of God. The shepherds could have claimed, I, I'm not smart enough to tell others about this baby. I, I'm the lowest class. I, there's no way that I, you can expect me to carry out this message and tell it on the mountains and tell it everywhere that Jesus Christ is born. The wise men could have said, well, you know what? This is just that, that little old country over there, Israel. It's of no consequence. Maybe this is just a fluke in the sky. But every one of these people, every single one of them found their way to worshiping Jesus on Christmas, the first Christmas. What we discover through this is that Jesus is for everybody. He's for, for the forgotten people of Nazareth. He's for the lowly and the humble shepherds who are despised by their society as a low-class citizen. He's also for the wise men, the rich, the affluent, who are hungry for more because the things of this world do not satisfy. Wherever you find yourself on the scale of humanity, Jesus came for you. He came for the lowly shepherds. He came for the nameless family that put Him up in their little stable attached to their home. He's, he came for the shepherds on the hillside, and He came for the wise men that lived in another country that were not heirs to the promises of Abraham, but saw that a Messiah, a special individual, was born into the house of David and came to worship Him. There's enough about this story to say that it doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter what your family history is like. It doesn't matter what your origin story is. It doesn't matter what your current situation is. Jesus came for you. Jesus came for you. So the question is, as was stated in the song, will you make room in your life for God this year? He's not concerned with where you've been or what you've done. But He wants you to come and lay down your burdens. The Bible says, Jesus saying in Matthew 11, verse 28, and I'm going to close with this, Come unto Me, all ye that are lab weary, labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take My yoke upon you, Jesus says, and learn of Me. Take, take My burdens on you because you don't have to carry the things that, that you've been carrying in your life. You don't have to give in to the excuses of, well, I'm not good enough. I'm a little too messed up. No, you, Jesus came for everybody. doesn't matter where you're coming from or where you've been this morning. Jesus came for you. If you're wealthy, if you're affluent, Jesus came for you. If you're poor and lowly, if you're average, just the average family, Jesus came for you. So are you going to make room for Him this morning in your heart? But I have decided 
I'm making room. I'm making room. Would you stand with me? Here in my heart, oh Lord, I'm making room. I'm making room. Come and dwell in me. Jesus, never leave. I'm making if you'd make your way to an altar this morning and come and pray and talk to the Lord and make room in your life for Him this morning as we sing this again. But I have decided I'm making room I'm making room Here in my heart Oh Lord I'm making room I'm making Come and dwell in me, Jesus, never leave, I'm making room. I delight, I delight in you, all that I want is found in you. I delight, I delight in you. All that I want is found in you. I delight. I delight in you. Oh, I know that I want is found in you. Yes, I delight, I delight in you. I'm making room, I'm making room Here in my heart, oh Lord I'm making room, I'm making room Come and dwell in me Jesus, never leave I'm making room sing that from your own heart this morning. Jesus, we make room for you. Make it personal. Say, Jesus, I, Jesus, I make room. 
for you. I make room in my heart, make room in my life. I make room for you. I make room for you. I make room for you. I have decided I'm making room. I'm making room. Here in my heart, oh Lord, I'm making room, I'm making room, come and dwell in me, Jesus never leave, and worship Him this morning. Thank you, Lord.
in our hearts for you this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Before we go, why don't you just pray for the person next to you. Pray a blessing on them. Lord Jesus, I pray for this person beside me today that you would bless them, Lord. This is a, a time of year that evokes lots of emotions. And the first Christmas wasn't necessarily a silent one. It wasn't necessarily a quiet one. It wasn't even always a joyful one. There was lots of heartache. There was lots of struggle. There was lots of family issues and problems. Just like today, God, everybody's coming in here with a different story. And everyone's not coming in necessarily with a, a lot of joy for this season. There's sometimes pain and, and difficulty associated with Christmas. So, Lord, I pray that you as the Prince of Peace, Lord, like you were born in the middle of a tumultuous circumstance, taxes and and danger on all sides, family trouble and uncertainty in, in the future, Lord. Threat of life was on the, the head of Mary and Joseph and the wise men, Lord. The, the shepherds came from difficult circumstances, but they came to worship you. And all of the things that we see happen, Lord Jesus, yet you remain constant. The fact that you were born and you brought peace and you brought hope in the middle of darkness. The story of Christmas doesn't tell us about a perfect Christmas, but it tells us a, a Christmas that was lots of trouble, yet brought peace, yet brought joy. In the middle of darkness, light shone, and angels sang, and miracles happened in the middle of trouble and trial. So Lord, in the middle of our grief, in the middle of our troubles, in the middle of our trials, God, would you bring peace? Would you bring hope? Would you bring joy? In Jesus' name, I pray joy over my friend. I pray joy over my husband, my wife, my friend this morning. Bless them, Lord, and let your spirit rest on them. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, before you're dismissed this morning, I have a couple announcements. I just want to stress a few things. Uh, first is... There's no Bible study this week. So look at somebody and say, no Bible study on Wednesday.